So um, it is really, uh, I just love to reiterate how wonderful it is to be here. Um, I feel uh, so blessed by Metro in so many ways. We as a community and as a church um, feel so blessed by you guys. Um, Philip has come to speak, as I said before. Last time Philip came to speak, actually, was not too, too long ago. And at the, at the end of it, I had so many conversations with people saying, Philip was an amazing, what an amazing speaker. And our team on the following Tuesday were like, Philip is an amazing speaker. And then someone said, can we have him every week? And I was a bit gutted by that because it basically said we don't really want you. So I'm so sorry you've got me and not Philip, but I'm really glad to be here uh, today. And I'm so glad to be able to share with you something uh, uh, around this whole area of inviting our friends uh, to come to, whether it's Metro Carols or anything. Sharing your faith. How do you do it? It's a really difficult thing uh, to do in many ways. But I hope that we can look at a passage together that will help us unpack some ways in which we can do that and some encouragement. So uh, first of all, we're going to read a little passage from Acts uh, chapter 3, um, which, uh, Acts chapter 4, I should say. Acts chapter 3, as a way of background, uh, you probably know that there were some, the apostles who spent most time with Jesus. There was three of them called Peter, James, and John. And we see this story at the beginning of Acts, the beginning of the church, where uh, Peter, Simon, Peter, and John are going into the temple. And when they're going in, they come across a guy who has been, who's lame from birth. And the guy asks them for money, and they say, we don't have any money, but what we do have, we'll give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And this guy immediately stands up and walks, not only starts walking, but starts jumping around and praising God and saying, this, these guys have prayed for me in the name of Jesus, and I've been healed. Now, this kicks up a big fuss. For lots of reasons. One of the reasons is that everyone there who went into the temple out every single uh, weekend would have known this guy. He'd been there for years. He was part of the furniture. And suddenly he's jumping up saying, I've been healed by Jesus Christ. And uh, the temple authorities are pretty upset about this. And so they call uh, Peter and John to give an account for their actions. So we pick up the story in uh, Acts chapter 4. Uh, verse 1. It says, The priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. The Sadducees, by the way, didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many heard the message Many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who grew believed. Uh, <laughs> so the number of men who believed grew to about five thousand. The next day, the rulers and the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them: By what power do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. Rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being uh, asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given by which mankind, uh, to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, 
they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they've performed a notable sign, and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in together uh, again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. So, it's that season, it's that time of year. Advent is the first Sunday in Advent, which is traditionally when the church looks forward to Christmas. But the culture is way ahead of the church in terms of looking forward to Christmas. Apparently that Christmas market's been out there for like, what, months already. I used to work in a department store in, uh, in London in my gap year. Uh, it was the Christmas decorations department. It opens in August. Uh, there's been a build-up that has been going on and on and on until this moment. And obviously there's lots of fun about Christmas. But obviously as Christians, we believe there's something far more profound than ice skating and... Uh, all the fun of Christmas that we see outside um, through that door. There's something much more profound. And actually, I think people are desperate for something more profound than the glitz and the glam of Christmas. This week, I met up with a, a friend of mine who is a vicar in Buckinghamshire, in Marlow. And uh, he has been there for the last uh, 10 or so years. And he's just built up friendships with people in the local community. And one of those people is um, Chris Evans, who is a DJ on Virgin uh, Radio, who um, you will not have heard of if you're under 40, uh, but he it was quite a big deal quite a long time ago, basically. So um, he, uh, he was interested in talking to my friend Dave about sort of spiritual matters, so they'd been meeting up. And actually, he started reading the Bible, he was really interested in faith. And he said after one of these conversations, hey Dave, we should do a thing in the church before Christmas where people can come and talk about spirituality and um, sort of meditation and all that kind of stuff. And so my friend Dave said, yeah. So they put on this event, uh, happened a couple of weeks ago, they called it Merry Mindfulness. And all the tickets sold out within 10 minutes when people heard about it, and the, and the church was absolutely packed with people, over 500 people crammed into this church. And one of the people uh, who had been invited by Chris was a guy called Russell Brand, who is also, um, was also famous quite a long time ago. But anyway, he is a guy who's really interested in spirituality and all that sort of stuff. So he came as well. So the three of them did this kind of panel, and each of them were talking about mindfulness and spirituality. And what really struck my friend Dave was two things. One was the hunger for something deeper and more profound than all that we get thrown at us at Christmas. That people are looking for something deeper, something, something that means something. And the other thing is that at the end of their first session, they sort of had a bit of feedback session. And, and Russell Brown and Chris Evans said to my friend Dave, the only thing we'd say is, talk more about Jesus. You didn't say much about Jesus, but you're a vicar. You should talk about Jesus. And people want to hear. And I think that's true. 
When you strip away everything from Christmas, people are desperate for something more profound and people want to hear about Jesus. We heard those stats that Sam gave us earlier. A third of people um, will go to a carol service. 75% of them will want to hear more about Jesus afterwards. There is a deep hunger and an amazing opportunity that we've got this Christmas. But when it comes to inviting people, that's where sometimes it gets a bit difficult. You might be thinking, well, yes, great in principle, but then what have I got to do with it? I, you might be saying here, I don't feel very comfortable about that. I'm not really sure what I believe, let alone telling people to come to something. Uh, maybe you're thinking, I, I'm not really kind of a very confident person. I don't really like to. I was incredibly shy as a teenager. I used to hate talking to anyone. And uh, the idea of talking about my faith was really, really difficult. I remember when I was a, a graduate, I, came, I moved from... Uh, uh, Exeter, uh, where I was at university, and I moved um, to London, and I, we had a carol service at the church that I was going to, and they said, we well, invite your friends. So I invited um, a few of my school friends. Amazingly, they all decided to come. They said, we love a good carol. We love to belt out a carol. Uh, absolutely no interest in faith, but love belting out a carol. So they all came along. And at the end of it, there was a little thing about, if you're interested in faith, come along to Alpha. And um, uh, one of my friends, Nick, I, I thought he's the most open. So I phoned him up uh, next week and I said, you know, we came to carol service. Well, what do you think about coming to an alpha course where you can explore faith? And um, he said, um, yeah, OK, yeah, I'll come. And um, he said, can I bring someone with me for sort of moral support? And uh, he said, can I, can I bring my, my girlfriend? And I said, yes, you can bring your girlfriend. And he said, can I bring my mum? I said, yes, you can bring your mum if you want. And he said, can I, bring, can I bring another friend? I said, yeah, absolutely. So anyway, so he, he turned up on the first night of Alpha with his, his mum, his girlfriend, and a, a mutual friend of ours, Mark. And I later found out that um, Mark told me this, that Nick had phoned him up straight after our phone call and said, help, I've said I'm going to this religious thing with Toby. Please, can you come for moral support? So Mark just said, I'll come along to help you out. Anyway, at the end of the course, by the end of the course, all of them, uh, Nick, his, his girlfriend, his mum, and Mark had encountered Jesus for themselves. And Mark, who was a sort of last minute stand-in, had the most amazing encounter with the Holy Spirit and uh, stood up at the front of church that night and said, I've come to faith in Jesus. It's real. And uh, I'll never forget that because we were at school all the way through, not interested. And then suddenly something happened. Now, I don't feel like I did anything. In fact, when I phoned Nick up, I was so apologetic. I said, you don't have to come. It's really not a big deal. Um, in fact, I'd prefer if you didn't in some ways because then I wouldn't have to think about it anymore. I, I so many apologies beforehand, but he came. You know, I did very little. I think that what I see throughout the New Testament is very broken, fragile, worried people having a little go at inviting someone, and then God does the rest. And actually, that's what we see in this passage and what I want to draw out from this passage is kind of one principle. Um, and it's a principle of, um, that you find in forensic science around uh, crime scenes. And this is a principle from a guy called Edmund Lockhart, who was the f basically the godfather of CSI. He was the guy that invented crime scene investigation. And his principle is this. Every contact leaves a trace. Every contact leaves a trace. So 
Every time two objects come into contact, an exchange happens. Every foot that leaves an impression on the surface that it was on. Every finger leaves a print. Every piece of clothing, every hair dropped, every piece of dry skin left behind leaves a DNA uh, trace that can be tracked. So the burglar who breaks in the window leaves a little bit of his clothes behind, who um, leaves some blood behind on the, on the broken glass, who treads in the flower bed. That's a way that you can find out that person, who they were. But actually that principle of crime scene investigation, I think applies in an amazing way to faith. And I just want to draw out three ways in which I think that applies. Every contact leaves a trace. The first trace is that on every single human being, there is the trace of God. Because we were all created in his image. That's what it says in Genesis. Male and female, he created them. In the image of God, he created them. In other words, every human being carries the fingerprints of God. Carries the DNA of the divine. There is something within each human being that makes them innately valuable and worthwhile, even when society says they're not. Think of the lame man at the temple gates, worthless, perceived as worthless in society. And yet Jesus knew that he wanted to heal him through Peter and John. Every single human being bears the trace of the creator so that means that you do. Sometimes we feel so worthless, don't we? Our society often tells us we are worthless in so many ways. Comparison culture takes away our dignity. But God always says, no, you have value to me. And we see that ultimately on the cross. Jesus dies on the cross for you. If you'd be the only person in the whole world, he still would have died for you. That is the value that you carry, and it's innate. But it's not just your value. It's the value of everyone around you. So even the people that annoy you, even the people that don't like you, even the people that you feel it's very easy to ignore, each of them was created in God's image too. They bear the marks, the hallmarks of their creator. So every contact, they've had a, a contact with God long ago that is still within them. And I think that changes the way we think about invitation. Because when I see people with God's eyes, I have much greater compassion for them a much greater love, a much greater desire to think, I'd love to help you reconnect with the person who made you in the first place. Life will be better with God. Um, recently, I uh, took my son Barney. So I, I recently started um, cycling up Park Street, which is uh, quite a ste <laughs> steep street. But I, thank you so much. Thank you. But just to add to that, on the back of my bike is four and a half stone of my son. So add that in as well. Yeah, so another round of applause. Yeah, thanks so much. Um, anyway, I cycle him up to the top of the hill in order to get him to his nursery, uh, where he spends uh, most of Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. The other day, uh, I took him there. But he's been a bit funny coming out of lockdown about going. And in fact, he doesn't really want us to go. And I've tried to reassure him and say it's OK. So um, I left him at school. And as he went in, I said, you know what, Barney, I will be thinking about you all the time today. Don't worry, I'll be thinking about you all the time. And he sort of was a bit tearful and went in. When I went to pick him up, he came out and he was beaming. I said, did you have a good time? He said, yeah, I had a great time. And then his teacher came up to me and said, it's interesting, um, 
today, he's sort of been saying to himself over and over again to all the teachers, Daddy thinks about me all the time. And for me, that was incredibly profound to hear him say that about me. And I thought, actually, that's true of God. He thinks about you all the time. He cares about you all the time. He doesn't forget you. You may forget him, but he never forgets you. Isaiah 49, see, I've engraved you on the palm of my hands. He says, even though a mother may forget the baby at their breast, I will not forget you. That is the value that you have to God. That is the value that every person around you has to God. Every contact leaves a trace. The trace we all carry is of God. But then secondly, every contact with Jesus leaves a trace. And this is where this story is quite interesting. Peter and John, the great apostles, the great preacher, Peter, the beloved disciple, John, they were so in the inner circle. And we might think, well, of course they were great at communicating about Jesus. You know, they were these great apostles, but they didn't start out that way. In fact, what's interesting is that the way they're described. So look at this, um, Acts um, 4.13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. In fact, the, the Greek is much more harsh. The Greek is... Argramatos, which means um, unlettered, illiterate, unlearned. These guys were fishermen. They had no formal education whatsoever. They had nothing going for them on the education department. But the second word's even worse, idiotes. <laughs> Can you guess what English word comes from that? So they're described as ignoramus, ignorant, unlearned, idiots unlearned, unschooled idiots. That's how they were seen. They were fishermen. So when you might think of yourself, and I think and you know, often we struggle, don't we, with our, our self-esteem, self-identity. You know, sometimes I just think of myself and think, you idiot. My wife regularly uses the same phrase about me. You idiot. But we can believe these things about ourselves, can't we? We can disqualify our ability to share Jesus with others because we think, well, what have we got to offer? You know, I'm too scared. I'm too nervous. My life's not put together. I'm not very good at this. But actually, if you look at these guys, Peter was the biggest screw-up in church history. Denied Jesus three times, and yet Jesus restored him. John, we don't hear him talking very much. He's there along the side, but I'm not sure he was a great communicator. But the thing that distinguishes them is not their background, where you think you might come from, but something else. First of all, they saw the courage of Peter and John. They saw the courage. You know what? Courage is not something innate. Courage isn't just something you either have or you don't have. It's in the face of fear you still choose to step forward. So that's what they did. But then interestingly, at the end of that verse, it says they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. They'd been with Jesus. It wasn't about their background or their skills or their abilities. 
it's that they'd been with Jesus. They'd spent time with Jesus. They'd eaten meals with Jesus. They'd seen how Jesus treated people. They'd seen how Jesus communicated. They'd spent so much time absorbing Jesus, being in contact with him, that they'd become like Jesus. And therefore, when they talked to the man at the gate, they pray in absolute confidence in Jesus' name. When they communicate to the hostile religious audience, they, they speak with confidence, not in themselves, but in Jesus, because they've been with him. So let me encourage you, every contact you make with Jesus will make a difference to the person you are. Every moment in the morning, you grab your Bible app and you read one verse that's a contact with Jesus. Every time you are in the middle of your day and you decide in your lunch break to pray about your work project that you're doing, that's contact with Jesus. Every time you meet with your group and you say, hey guys, can you pray for me in this situation? I'm having a really hard time. You're meeting with Jesus. Every contact you make with him will leave a trace on you and you will become more like him. So don't start with, how am I going to invite 5,000 people? Start with Jesus. Because the impact of your time with him will begin to overflow more and more. Uh, I think of um, uh, Nathan. So Nathan uh, was someone who came on our online Alpha course. So we started uh, Alpha online. We, I wasn't sure if anyone would come, uh, but some people turned up, uh, joined in by Zoom. It's like 18 months ago. And Nathan was one of them. And he uh, we went around the beginning, uh, why are you here? Nathan said, uh, well, I'm, I'm not a Christian, I'm not a churchgoer, but um, I'm, I'm an accountant uh, with PwC, and, uh, I'm, but I've had to be off work with stress uh, for mental health reasons. And I just thought, well, I might as well give this a shot. So he came along. Week by week, he kept coming back. Fantastic guy. We got to the Alpha morning where we normally pray for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We normally do it in person. Again, I was thinking, this is not going to work. On Zoom, the Holy Spirit on Zoom, does that work? I don't, I don't see that in the Bible anywhere. Is it going to happen? Uh, we prayed. And then we came back together and Nathan said, the most amazing things happen. I feel like I've encountered God for myself. And his face was changed. In fact, the rest of the course, he just couldn't stop smiling. And um, I, I, I met up with him. Uh, we began to talk about his new faith. He said, you know what? I feel so good about um, uh, what's happened to me, my mental health through coming to faith. I'm going to go back to work. So he went back to work. Uh, he said, I really want to get involved and help, see if I can do something to help in the church. Uh, and he started running something called Rework, which is helping those who have lost their jobs dur dur during COVID to get back into work. Uh, he then said, I want to help lead a group. So he, he, he then led a group. But what was interesting was he was, had an insatiable desire to read the Bible and to pray. And you could see even week by week, he was becoming more like Jesus. The time we spend with Jesus, the more we become like him. And the other thing that happened was that he couldn't stop telling people about his new faith. 
In fact, he's recently just uh, contacted the whole of his company, uh, sent out an email to everyone saying, I struggle with my mental health. I was off work for a while. I'm back now. But if anyone wants to talk to me about my mental health, please come and get in touch with them. He was overwhelmed with responses. People saying, yeah, me, 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 me. I'd love to chat to you. And his hope is that as he talks with people, he can share the hope that he's found in Jesus. And that's what happens with these disciples. When they're quizzed, Peter and John say, uh, uh, that there's, uh, they say, we're not going to stop talking about Jesus. And then this is their last little line. They say, they say, we cannot help talking about what we've seen and heard. We cannot stop it. We can't help it. It's natural. It's just an overflow. So every contact leaves a trace. Every contact with Jesus leaves a trace. But then every contact you make with those around you also leaves a trace, for good or for bad. You know, we, cons- we live in a very contactless society. COVID has exacerbated that. But we're designed for connection with one another. And um, isolation is so bad for us. Loneliness is a horrible pandemic that's far more deep-seated in our society. But connection with people changes that. And the people that you are around, the people that God has placed you in, in your workplace, in your family, uh, uh, all your friends, you're there for a reason. It's not an accident that you're there. And you probably don't even realize it. But every interaction you have with them tells a story, has an impact on them. Every time you offer help, that has an impact on them. Every time you care about someone else's work crisis, every time you offer to pray for someone who's sick, every time you um, talk about something that gives you hope in your faith, all of that is having an impact on others. Uh, Paul says it like this in 2 Corinthians, we are the aroma of Christ to those who, are, who we are among. In other words, you carry the fragrance of Jesus with you. As you spend time with him, you don't even realize it, but you're giving off the aroma of Christ. I remember when I was um, 21, I got, for my 21st birthday, I got given some aftershave. I'd never worn aftershave in my life before. And I got given this massive bottle of Issy Miyake. If anyone knows what that is, I had no idea. Still don't really understand. Anyway. Apparently it was quite a big deal, quite expensive, and I remember thinking, I went to my first wedding, and um, uh, age 21, a friend of mine was getting married, and I thought, well, you know, it's a perfect opportunity to have a go. So I sprayed liberally um, quite a lot of this stuff on me, and then sort of walked into the church, and um, quite a few people said, it's quite a strong smell. I suddenly thought, well, I think that might be me. In fact, I then began to feel quite sick from the smell of this perfume. And um, anyway, it was the first and last time I've ever worn aftershave. You, You can carry a bad smell or you can carry a good one. You don't have to put on aftershave to carry the fragrance of Jesus. In fact, you naturally carry that wherever you go. And it's a wonderful, fragrant aroma. And actually, uh, you don't realize it. That's the thing. You never know it about yourself, but other people can spot it in you. One of the interesting things that happened with Nathan is that he, uh, he then started leading another Alpha course online. One of the people who turned up the first, I was in the group as well, one of the first people to turn up was a guy called Craig. We said, Craig, you know, why have you come to Alpha? He said, well, I've been an atheist all my life. 
Turned out he'd grown up in a household of 13 children, who's one of 13, in Bristol. The bailiffs regularly knocked on the door, a very dysfunctional relationship. Uh, he was abused, uh, he was beaten, and at the age of 17 he moved out and took two of his sisters with him to live um, on their own in Bristol. He had a terrible background. And uh, he then managed to get through education. Uh, he managed to hold down a, a job. He got a master's. Uh, he then got into politics, into local politics, uh, to the point where he actually disclosed on the first week he's, the, he's actually the deputy mayor of Bristol. But he said, I'm an atheist. I've spent my whole time arguing against Christians. Well, we said, well, why are you here? And he said, well, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. He said, I've met a lot of Christians. There's quite a lot around me at work. I've met a lot of Christians. I'm intrigued to know more. So he came on the course. Uh, he read the whole reading list. He read a lot more of the reading list. Every week he'd come back with all these questions. And then, uh, again, on the Alpha morning, when we prayed for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, we prayed. And he came uh, on the call afterwards and said, um, he was quite emotional. He said, I I've had the most amazing experience. You know, I, I believe in God. I think it's real. I think it's true. And uh, we met up again afterwards, and I said to him, well, what? how did that happen? And we said the reason I came actually was because I had quite a profound experience um, the other week in a, in a church where um, it was his, his grandmother's funeral. But he said, what I've realized is going back into my life, there have always been Christians who've had an impact on me. He said one of, the, one of the most profound ones I can remember is when I was working in a company and one of the guys he worked with uh, had decided to foster and adopt children regularly with his wife. And um, he said, he couldn't, I couldn't get my head around why someone would give so much of their time to fostering and adopting children who are so dysfunctional. I thought, what, how can you possibly have what's in it, what it takes to do that? He said he was so struck that this man felt it was his Christian calling. It was Jesus who was calling him to foster and adopt. He said that was, that was one of the things that had an impact on him. All the way along his life, in fact, there have been Christians who've had an impact you have no idea the impact you're having on other people's lives. If you carry the aroma of Jesus with you, if you spend time with him, every contact you have around you will leave a trace. Some of them might come to the carol, some of them won't. But it doesn't matter. Fix your eyes on Jesus and he'll do the rest. Let's pray. Should we stand? We're going to pray. Jesus, we thank you for the model of Peter and John. A thing that was spotted about them was that they had been with Jesus. They'd been with you. And Lord, we thank you that you are alive, that you're risen from the dead, and that you're here now by your Holy Spirit. Whether we're here in the building or online, thank you that you are there with us. Thank you that we can be with you now, that we can meet with you as we pray, as we read your word. We thank you that you're with us, just like you were with Peter and John. And Lord, we thank you too that 
when we're with you, you rub off on us. Thank you that we become more like Jesus. We carry the aroma of Christ, the pleasing aroma of you to those around us. And so, Lord, we just want to offer you ourselves again today with all our frailty, our fragility, our failures in the past. We offer all of it to you and we ask right now that you would come by your Holy Spirit and fill us again. Just encourage you to open your heart to God tonight. Open your heart to Jesus and just say to him, Lord, would you fill me again with your love? So what St. Paul says, the Holy Spirit is poured, that the love of God is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he's given to us. It's the love of God that he wants to pour into your heart right now. His love for you.